This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, Tank Girl, Miriam Jouar. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Jouar, and today is Thursday, October 3rd, 2019. My guest is Avram Pilch of Tom's Hardware. Hi, Avram. How are you? Great. How are you? It's just a pleasure to be on with you. Yes, I'm great. Thanks so much for asking. I have you on because, as you know, my and I'm talking to my audience here, Avram is very, very much the laptop guy. At least of all the people I know, you're really connected to the laptop world. And I mean laptop, tablets, but basically, also, you know, your phones, which is why we have you here. Yeah. But basically, Microsoft had a big event yesterday, Wednesday, October 2nd. And I know that your team was there. You're the editor-in-chief. So obviously, I wanted to have you on the show to discuss primarily Microsoft. And then we have a bunch of other stuff to talk about. Sure. Happy to talk about Microsoft. Really exciting event yesterday. I mean, it's cool, right? They, they did some really interesting things. And I feel like in the last two or three years, they've really kind of cranked things up a notch in terms of their, their hardware division, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah, no doubt. No doubt. They are really, I mean, they're innovating a lot more than Apple right now. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Apple doesn't look so good after yesterday. <laughs> right. So, you know, there's a lot of announcements. We're going to go through all of them. I want to start with the thing that got you the most excited. Uh, I think the, the Surface Duo I, I found the most exciting. I mean, it's although it's hard to say because the Surface Neo uh, was also really interesting, the fact that they're getting back into phones. But I think whether it's the Duo or the Neo, the concept is the same a dual screen device that's focused on productivity, uh, really showing you what a quote unquote bendable, foldable uh, device should be rather than trying to make it uh, just sort of a doing it because they can like Samsung did with the Galaxy Fold. Uh, I mean, I think it's great how they, they're trying to create dual screen experiences that leverage the fact that you can really compartmentalize with two different screens and have, say, your inbox on one side and then open email on the other or use it for multitasking. Rather than just trying to give you more screen real estate for the sake of it, they're really trying to use it to make you more productive. And that's a perspective that I really appreciate uh, as a power user and someone who wants to use these devices for work. Yeah. So let's quickly go through the difference between the two because I'm not sure if everybody in the audience knows. Yeah. So the the, the Surface Duo is a basically a um, kind of prototype concept type device, but that's going to be going to production. That is essentially a very small dual screen tablet that you know has it folds in half, and then we have the the Neo, right? The Surface Neo, which is essentially a more like a Surface Go size. A dual screen uh, tablet and and you're more excited about the duo which i am as well because i feel it's a much more pocketable form factor and it runs android it's a phone essentially whereas the duo uh sorry the neo runs uh windows 10x which is a kind of a lighter weight version of window optimized for dual screen right right well i mean actually it's hard to say because what i really like about what i really like about uh about the Neo is that you have that, that functional keyboard. Oh yeah. Which is, which is something that you don't get on the phone. 
Uh, now, but the phone is is pocketable. I mean, the phone. It's what's what's really interesting to me about these two devices is that the two displays are, look like they're three by two aspect ratio. I think they are. And so there's a they're not folding displays. Uh, yeah. They fold because they have a hinge, and then there's very little bezel at that point where the displays kind of meet when the thing is open. And when you close them completely. Um, there's nothing on the outside. There's no secondary screen like a Galaxy Fold has a front screen. Um, and But if you, you can also open them fully all the way so that you have screen on both sides. So uh, essentially, one is slightly bigger and one is slightly smaller. One runs Windows 10X, one runs Android. And the bigger one, the Neo, is interesting because, as you said, there is kind of like a physical hardware keyboard that magnetically latches to one or maybe both, depending on how you hold it, of the two screens uh, towards the edge of it so that uh, you have a physical keyboard you can type with. And the leftover part of the screen becomes something like a touch bar on steroids, basically, right? Yeah, and it also looked like uh, you can actually slide the keyboard forward so that you have a touch pad oh i see so you can also put it closer to the hinge yeah i didn't see any photos showing that but that makes sense i think that was in the video that they showed uh the demo video they showed it sliding forward with the touch pad underneath it which makes which would make sense if if you want that so it makes it more of a laptop like experience but yeah that's that's going to be a little bit of a tough sell for for a lot of people because you're going to have to use that in lieu that's supposed to be in lieu of your laptop or in lieu of a full two But you know, the, the Surface um, type covers have been very high quality keyboards with backlighting, in my opinion. Of all, yeah. the, of all the kind of fabric keyboards that you can get for a tablet-like device. And, I mean, Logitech makes some really good product and so does Bridge for the iPad. But in my opinion, nothing can touch the Surface. No, you're, right? you're, you're, absolutely, you're absolutely right. So, I mean... We'll have to see how we didn't get to go hands on with the with the Neo uh, or the Duo. I, I think the I think the Verge got some exclusive. Yeah, uh, I will link to some of their content there because they got some pretty exclusive stuff. Yeah, I have journalism envy, um, but um, they but we so we didn't get to see how good the keyboard really feels. I think that's going to be really important. Is it? Does it feel good or is it just kind of meh? Uh, is is the size of it big enough to actually be useful to type on? Because I don't think there's going to be a great market for tweener devices. Like there's always been this idea of a device that's between a laptop and a phone. Yeah, the iPad basically, right? I mean, that's the most successful tweener, right? Yes. Yes, that's that's true. Although been, some people use it as a main computer, which I still find a bit weird. I mean, with all due respect to, you know, Harry McCracken, who is a prime example of that. <laughs> yeah, I was um, just thinking you of know, that. I, I, and again, I, I'm not making fun of Harry. I think he, for his use, this is obviously clearly the right product. And I think that the uh, iPad Pro is obviously available in 12-inch size, which is bigger physically than with a keyboard cover is bigger than my freaking MacBook 12-inch. So, you know, it's legit. But I'm just saying for me, you know, I'm kind of old school. You're probably the same way. I need a real OS. And, and yeah. again, actually, I want to, I should rephrase it rather than, and because real is loaded, I need a desktop class OS, a desktop yes. class experience on a laptop portable device. And, and that's why I love Chrome OS. And that's why I love Windows. And that's why I love Mac OS, right? 
Yeah, no, no doubt. So I think though the size of the Neo, I think I think it is five point six inch. It, the the screens are not that large. So you're talking about the Duo now, the small one, right? But I think they're both. They both. I mean, with from the phone, you don't want it to be too big anyway. No, so. and I think the Neo is nine point something inches oh. on both. So it's more like uh, two iPads uh, with, and they have bezels, which is really interesting. I, what the thing that strikes me strikes me about both these devices is how similar they are, but scaled in size, and yes. yet the use cases are very different because one was running Windows ten X and has that hardware keyboard you can magnetically attach to and the other one runs android and i don't know about the neo which is the bigger one but the duo from what i heard and read is the the rear part is made of glass as well even though it's not a display so you know fragility you know of course all our phones are glass on both sides now but we all know that's also an issue, right? That's that a lot of people have broken rear or broken fronts of their phones yeah. because of two glass surfaces. So I thought that was an interesting choice because I'm thinking to myself, this thing is super thin. Uh, even clothes is really thin. As a phone, it's going to get dropped. And if all it has is an aluminum or stainless steel frame to protect it, that rear glass, you know, I was surprised. I thought it would be a rear aluminum uh, with maybe the Microsoft logo being glass for antennas and stuff, you know? Also, how are you going to make a case for that? It seems like a very challenging case. Yeah, well, if you've seen what the Galaxy Fold case looks like, it's basically just kind of barely wrapping itself around the phone. But it seems effective in so far that at least it will prevent scuffs if you drop it. Right. So we'll see. I mean, look, I think this, the thing that's weird to me First of all, I want to finish my sentence. I think this is very interesting. And the thing that's weird to me is that they've announced, and this is, we need to really talk about this. They've announced this for the holidays 2020, meaning a year and two months from now, 14 months, which to me is crazy. And also we didn't see any camera placement on these devices. And other than the very, very thin bezel where the hinge meets on both displays, the rest of the displays actually have very significant bezels, which, again, uh, there might be some functional, like some functionality around that, like palm rejection and all that. But I feel that today, I'm not asking for complete edge-to-edge, but I feel like to some, for something to look modern, you need very little bezel all around. And I find that a bit weird, you know? Yeah, I mean that's certainly not a consumer friendly look. I can I can imagine that the price of something like the Surface Duo is also going to be very expensive. I I'm betting that they're going to try and target businesses with this phone. Now the question is is that really a huge and growing market right now because we've seen other companies try and come out with business friendly phones and you see I I don't know, I I don't have the sales numbers, but it doesn't look like a really growing market since I think most companies are BYOD with phones. I think this would be a real strategic mistake for them to do that. Uh, And I'll tell you why. Here's why. First of all, this thing's not coming out for 14 months. In 14 months, a lot of technology is going to improve. Secondly, and so the prices will go down. Secondly, today, a company out of Shenzhen can make this phone running Android right now because Android 10 supports dual screens and make it work really well for probably less than 600, I'd say 700 US dollars, because because China, because Shenzhen. And so how, what prevents Microsoft from having copycats of this product out in that 14 months? Because, you know, this is what is strange to me, is that 
I understand like the the Neo with Windows 10X understand is a different story because Windows 10X is going to define the experience. But the 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 duo, the small one, like they're going to get their lunch eaten by the big players in China and in the even potentially like the Gen 2 of the Galaxy Fold. Uh, if they and and who knows what Moto and other companies are going to come out with with either folding or dual display devices in the next year, it's like you could make this phone today with a Snapdragon 855 running Android 10 and bring that vision and run all the Microsoft apps and ship it by the holidays of 2019. I do not understand this. Yeah, I, I don't know what's going on in their R and D. I mean. Maybe they felt the need to show people it because they want to build up some hype and build up some enthusiasm around the brand. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, it's done. We're excited and I applaud the effort. I just feel like I can understand the Neo being a slow rollout, but the Duo does not make sense to me. That it is definitely a product that could exist today at a reasonable price point. Uh, if it was made by companies like Xiaomi or Oppo or Vivo or, you know, the many, a Huawei even, the many Chinese phone makers. And again, Shenzhen, these various companies out there, I've been testing random Chinese phones you can buy on eBay and not eBay, I mean on Amazon that are no-name brands basically. And they're great. A lot of them are really nice for the money. So I think, and they all stock Android. And this is the other thing that I think is really interesting we should worth talk about, is worthy talking about. And, and I want to know how you feel about it because you're like much more connected to the laptop tablet side. This is Google winning in a huge way because this is not just running Android. It's running Android pure, like no, uh, no frivolities, at least as far as we know. It's got Google um, mobile services, so all the Google integration, Google apps. This is not a fork of Android like the Amazon tablets, right? This is the real deal with all the Microsoft apps, Outlook, Word, Excel, and, and who knows what else. Probably Microsoft's awesome launcher is on there or a custom version for right. dual displays. This is great, but this also means that this is running Google code. Like through and through, right? Well, Microsoft knows by now that they're not going to make their own mobile operating system anymore. And I think one of the things that you've seen under Satya Nadella's leadership is that he's really agnostic when it comes to the platform as long as they can provide the service that they want to provide. No, so, I know that. Yeah, it's about the Microsoft graph. I mean, he said it in Lauren Good's Wired interview. He was very clear about that. So, so why would they go out and try and... and revisit windows phone mobile but it's the first it's time that they've really admitted it you know what i'm saying like this is not by making an android phone that's a surface phone that is not trying to fork android this is i think the first time that we see microsoft finally officially in a way admitting that yeah we lost that war Google wins and we're looking forward to working closely with them. And that to me is super exciting because I've always thought that the Microsoft labs the people who are sweating the details of the Surface ecosystem day in, day out, do some incredible work and would benefit so hard from that partnership. Yeah, I think I think it's good for Microsoft. To get back to a point you raised earlier, though, why why wouldn't people just buy a a, a brand, you know a similar phone that was made by somebody else? Well, there's the Microsoft Prestige and the Microsoft tax that you pay too. Because look at what what happened with the with the Surface Pro, right? 
Acer, Lenovo, a bunch of of other companies have their own Surface Pro clones or similar or lookalikes. But which is the one that people are buying? Primarily, they're buying the Surface Pro, even though they cost more money. You got to pay extra for the keyboard. You got to pay extra for the pen. Things that come in the box. If you buy an Acer, or if you buy a Lenovo, or some other, uh, I think if you buy an HP, so you know, obviously they think that their prestige. I think Microsoft thinks that it's like Apple now, and they have good reason to think that. No, absolutely. I mean, as as I said earlier in the show, they've really built a name for themselves in the hardware space, and their products are delightful. And I want to say, you know, like uh, John Gruber at Daring Fireball made this point in on his blog today. He's a big Apple pundit, and he said, you know, um, of all the laptops out there that aren't Macs, you know, the Surface laptop, especially the new one now that it has USB Type C, and we're going to talk about that, is you know really the best design there is today for a laptop. And I kind of agree. I have the original uh, Surface laptop, the first gen one. And I know last year was a second gen that still didn't have USB-C and drove us all nuts because it didn't. And now we finally have one with USB-C. And I can only say that um, I'm super excited that we're seeing that really great form factor with an extremely well-designed keyboard and an extremely well-designed trackpad hit, you know, hit the market. Um, and these are some obviously, you know, I'm I'm not trying to segue away from the duo and the neo. I'm just pointing out yeah. that that you're right that that there is that surface tax in a way. There is that premiumness to the surface experience, you know. And you will pay through the nose because one thing that we learned is have you checked out how much it costs to buy the Surface Laptop 3? The, no, the, it's isn't it starting at 9.99? Oh yes, but no one should buy the starting so it's nine ninety nine for the thirteen inch, and it's twelve ninety nine for the fifteen inch. And the fifteen inch, by the way, it needs to be said, is a big step is a big step for Microsoft because they're going to use AMD processors in it. Yeah, let's talk about the processors a little later because I think there's also the whole Qualcomm thing with the Surface Pro yeah. X that we haven't even talked about. That's a huge deal. But yeah, thanks for mentioning that there is a fifteen inch version of the Surface now. It doesn't have the fabric on it, the uh, Alcantara right. keyboard. A deck, but you can still get the keyboard Alcantara covering on the 13 on some models. The matte black one doesn't. I mean, it's interesting actually that they're giving different options, not just in color, but in material. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's an interesting thing that they're doing, but they really, 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 I mean, I like Microsoft, but they're kind of gouging people on on the cost to configure it. So yes, 999 gets... You know what you get for nine ninety nine? You get a one hundred and twenty eight gigabyte SSD, Oof, and you get yeah. eight gigs of RAM. So, do you know how much it costs to go from a one twenty eight gigabyte SSD to a two fifty six with no other upgrade except that? No. What's what? Your Delta is three hundred dollars. I was going to say two hundred would be high, but wow, three three hundred dollars to go from a nine ninety to go from one twenty eight to two fifty six. And to go up to 512 is like another, I think you can't get it with 512 with eight gigs of RAM, but I think basically you pay, spend, I think like another 300 bucks to get it with 512 and 16 gigs. So so it's like, Apple pricing. And you know what? There's a totally is a market for that. So it's it's insane how much you, you spend to get that. What's, what's really a killer here is, so Microsoft made a big deal about the fact that 
the new Surface laptops are going to be user serviceable for the SSD. You'll be able to get to the SSD and remove it, which is a first for them. However, it, it was just revealed that the kind of SSD that they use is an M2 2230, which means that it is 30 millimeters long. It's the and, short M2, yeah. And nobody makes those. Yeah. So don't uh, worry. Yes, they could. But the point is, just to put this in perspective for the audience, here's how much if it were an M2 2280 and 80 millimeter, which is what m- almost all laptop SSDs are these days, you could buy a one terabyte drive, a good one, a high speed one, our top pick, uh, like uh, for like 120 bucks. Wow. Uh, you could buy a 512 for like 70, 80 bucks. And if you don't want the top pick, if you want like the Intel 660p, which is always on sale and a, and, and a pretty good SSD, that would be 85 bucks for a one terabyte drive. So they're charging you 300 bucks for something that if you were to buy a 256, a 256 gig SSD, you could barely find them. They're so cheap. They're so right. low. That's like 40 bucks. So, so they're really, really gouging you. And then they're using a smaller SSD. Uh, they would probably say because they're trying to save space, but one could argue that they're also doing it because it makes it hard for you to, to go out and upgrade it on your own. Right. I mean, look, I think that we got to give them credit for letting you upgrade it. And I think that the market, the market will catch up in the same way as, you know, there's all kinds of third party upgrades available for Macs, uh, you know, uh, other world computing and all that. And so I think, I think I'm actually excited to see that they're pulling an Apple playbook here because you, you know, yes, it's, it's a lot of money, but that's the beauty of it, right? Avram, you have a whole bunch of products in the PC, Microsoft Windows ecosystem that are really competitive and really great for much less money, right? Yes. But if you want Surface, you pay the Surface tax. And I think, again, they're doing what Apple does and it might work for them because they're positioning themselves as premium and they're potentially trying to show the rest of the market like Apple did with phones that if you want to play in those leagues, you have to charge those prices and you know, you get really, really great hardware for the money. You're going to say maybe not the cheapest hardware for the money, but you know that the whole experience, the thing that blew my mind about the Surface Laptop 1 was, first of all, I liked it always better than the Surface Pro tablets because I like to have a real keyboard that's permanently attached to the laptop but i felt that it was the first windows pc i've ever used in my life that felt like an apple experience out of the box in the sense that i had to install no drivers everything worked perfectly how many windows laptops from hp and others have i used in this past year like the beautiful leather bound folio laptop from hp where they didn't even use the great super awesome microsoft trackpad drivers and you had to fiddle and get some third-party hack to get the precision drivers installed on that like to me, this is what I'm talking about. I'm going to pay that premium to get that experience. And a lot of people will as well. I think the good thing about Microsoft is just the materials that they use. They use really good build, really good materials. And design. It looks great. Yeah, it has a distinct look and it looks great. I remember, oh, when was it? Set? Was at least eight, eight, nine years ago, was it? Then the first Surface came out. 
Yeah. And I got invited to Microsoft's campus to actually to see it uh, and they to see it for the launch. And we went through all these rooms and, you know, all these different labs that they had. And they kept talking about the uh, the vapor magnesium and the chamfered edges. And I was I was like, oh, man, these folks are really just talking a big game. You know, is this stuff really matter? Uh, but I think, you know, years later, it's been proven that, like, that's what people pay for. They pay for design. You could get, yeah. you could, components are cheap. You can get an Acer. Let me give everybody a clue here. You can get a, you can get a laptop with a 1080p screen and an SSD uh, for under $600. For sure. You can, but it's going to be made of cheap plastic. It's going to be heavy. You won't like the keyboard. The screen while 1080p will be dim. Like it's it's the little the not so little things like having a bright beautiful screen, having really solid materials that feels good in your hand and don't creak when you like when you press down on them, having a good snappy keyboard that doesn't bend and buckle. Like those are the things that those are the things that you should pay for because those are the things that everybody will notice. Even someone who's not very tech savvy can notice a good screen, and a good keyboard. Not everyone will notice the difference between eight and 16 gigabytes of RAM. And unlike Apple, you have choices. You can buy that Acer. You can buy an Asus ZenBook, which is a beautiful laptop that's much more affordable. You can buy an HP. You can buy, they make beautiful. I love the uh, new, whatever the model that has the weird cut corners where the USB-C charging port oh, is. Oh, X360. The, uh, the, the, yeah, the new X360. Like, I mean, that design is great. It's beautiful. Yeah. Look, there's lots of choices, right? So the point is that I think Microsoft is doing the right thing and positioning themselves. Kind of like Google is with the Pixel brand. You know, we are kind of the reference. And, you know, you have choices. You have options. You can certainly buy a Moto G7, which costs $200 as a phone, but you can also buy a Pixel and that's going to cost you, you know, $800. And that's the way it is, right? Yep. Um, should you instead buy a Moto G7? Well, maybe you should. I mean, you're not losing too much uh in terms of like comparing the general functionality of the, the product but you're going to be losing on other things like the camera or whatever and i think the same thing applies to laptops so i, I like this positioning um and in terms of the surface uh, products like the traditional tablet surface products they launched what a uh, new surface pro 7 yeah yes that's, I mean, that's not much of an upgrade. It, it does have USB-C and it's basically a Surface Pro 6 with the latest Intel processors and USB-C, right? Yes. Now, you said USB-C is a big uh, game changer for you. And I agree that it was really noticeable by its absence. In, in 2019, every device should use USB-C. Unfortunately, not. it's not true, but everybody, every device should use USB-C. But when you're talking about something for creative professionals, why why couldn't they spend the extra couple bucks and make it Thunderbolt? I mean, yeah, well, that's the other thing, right? It's like they are it's baby steps, and I f I wish it wasn't like that. I don't understand it. Um, none of the USB C ports they introduced, which they did on the thir the 13 inch and 15 inch Surface laptops, and on the Surface Pro Seven, and on the next device we're going to talk about, which is Surface Pro X. 
are uh, Thunderbolt compatible. At least all of them that you charge, which is a good news. And then if you use the custom port, the special Surface uh, power port, that's been the same since day one, which is great. Kudos to them for keeping that port going. Uh, you can fast charge now on all these products, correct? Yeah. Now, I, I myself, if I had it, would probably use the USB, uh, USB-C for charging more often. Me and- too. And I, I wonder if it supports fast charge on USB-C as well. They didn't say. It seems like it's their USB-C support seems begrudging to me. So, um, so we'll we'll see. I don't know why they're so mad about USB-C. It's weird. Yeah, I I I, I feel like they want people to buy the proprietary chargers, uh, but you know, USB-C is uh, for me. USB-C charging is an absolute must on any laptop yeah especially because as i talk to you right now my dock here my docking station in my house which i use to connect to my monitors and all my peripherals is USB-C, and it charges my laptop while you know while while i'm docked so like to me that's an invaluable feature plus the fact that you can get USB-C chargers everywhere i mean i was in taiwan uh this year when i realized holy cow I forgot my charger, but but one of my uh, coworkers loaned me a Mac charger, uh, a, a Mac charger which is Type C, and I use it, it on worked. my Think and I use yeah. it on my ThinkPad which is Type C, and it and it just worked. So you know, I I think everything should be Type C. Me too. I'm the same boat, mostly because I use so many phones that are Type C as well. And so you know, it's interesting because I feel like this reluctance is odd to me. It's like you know. Yes, there are advantages to having custom port, especially on like something like a, uh, a powerful uh, video editing laptop or a gaming laptop, where you need to power to you know power that discrete graphics and and you need to you know you need a lot of current and voltage going through, and maybe it's not practical. But even some gaming laptops today support um, dual charging, like they have a a big adapter that you need to use when you want to do some graphics intensive stuff. But if you're just going to use the integrated graphics. Um, and or just want to charge the battery overnight, you can just use USB-C and it'll work, which is really, to me, a very, very cool uh, uh, solution, you know? So yeah. I'm I'm kind of stoked to finally see that because I'll give you an example. I've got a Surface Go, the non-LTE edition that uh, Microsoft sent me to uh, as a review in it about a year ago, and I never, ever even pulled out the custom charger from yeah. the box. Like, I, I'm using some generic 65 watt USB-C charger that I have floating around to charge that thing. And I've never even thought twice of using anything else. So there you go. I, I love the go. I would like to see some, uh, new revision they didn't of the update go. The go, huh? Yeah. It's interesting. I think they're kind of hoping that that new surface Neo is going to be the go replacement, but it's another 14 months away. It's very weird. It's also not going to be cheap. The, I think the thing about the go is that it's fairly cheap. Right. So let's switch to that Surface Pro X and then let's talk about the processors on the Surface 15 and the Surface Pro X because, um, you know, Intel has been the go-to. Right now, uh, just to give you an idea, the uh, the Surface Pro 7, which is the latest update to the Surface Pro line as obviously an Intel processor, the 13-inch Surface laptop has an Intel processor and you know, uh, that's it. The uh, as you said, the 15-inch Surface laptop has a Ryzen processor. But what's really exciting to me of all the products that you can buy soon 
uh, because there's obviously the Duo and the Neo that are really exciting, but they're 14 months away, is the Surface Pro X, which is running Windows 10X, I believe, right? Yes. Oh no. Uh, yeah, I guess it's. They didn't. I didn't really say. I guess it's. I guess it's 10X. I mean, it could be that when it, you know, it might just run Windows 10. X when it finally launches because I don't think yeah. it's launching right away. But the point is that it is an ARM-based um, Windows 10 machine. You know what? I think it's just standard Windows it's 10 just on 10? ARM. It's interesting because that it, they called it Surface Pro X then. Yeah, they just like the X. I mean, okay. if you were to really go through product names, it's ridiculous X how is often popular, yeah. how often you see X. For sure. So anyway, Surface Pro X is basically, you know, the uh, ARM-based, super thin, super light, super bezel-less, next-generation, dual USB-C um, equipped uh, Surface tablet. And it runs Windows 10, not 10X. And uh, thanks for the correction on that. And anyway, the point is that I'm excited about because, not just because it's ARM-based, because I really think that's the future of Windows, but, and, and by the way, obviously, I'm sure that that Surface Duo phone is going to be ARM-based. Um, but what's exciting to me about it is that it's a custom chip that Microsoft essentially, you know, asked Qualcomm to help them design or Qualcomm design for them. Uh, yeah, I, how do you feel about that? Especially when we got the HCX last December from Qualcomm, which is a super optimized for laptops for Windows chip, and is really really pushing to, from the benchmarks we've seen. Our, my experience with the Windows on ARM laptops, uh, which I have reviewed a bunch of them, is that so far they've been a huge disappointment. But have you tested an HCX yet? I believe so. Uh, we tested the one, or maybe it was... Because I don't think any of them are out yet. Oh, okay, you're right. It was 855. I think it was Snapdragon Yeah, you can't, yeah, you can't. So, so I think it's interesting because that's the thing. We don't know anything. We haven't actually used an HCX device yet. Yet here is Qualcomm either making a chip for Microsoft or Microsoft collaborating with Qualcomm to make an, a custom ARM chip. That sounds insane to me. Why wouldn't they use an HCX? I don't know. I guess they, they want to put their name on it. Maybe there's something that they're doing with it that's a little bit better. I mean they're pulling an apple making their own arm chips. Or kinda. maybe they or maybe they just want to re rebadge things as their own. I mean if, I mean it sounds like they're pulling an apple, but on the other hand, we know that Microsoft does not make SSDs. But uh if you see the picture that the Verge took of the SSD in the uh it is a microsoft brand ssd in in the uh in the pro x so yeah so that's also re removable if if you lift the kickstand right. there's a sim slot there obviously because right. this is a this isn't always on pc so it has it has the lte option and then there is an actual m2 uh 30 millimeter ssd in there right 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 and if you see the pictures that that the verge took it is it says microsoft on it but Microsoft is not a storage vendor. In fact, I was discussing this with my staff uh, because we recently reviewed a Toshiba uh, SSD that's an M2 2230, which is OEM only, so you can't buy it right now. And we we believe that this is actually a rebadge of the Toshiba. We're trying to find out whether that is definitely true, but it, I think there's a good chance that this is a Toshiba SSD that's been... Um, 
you know, labeled as Microsoft. So, you know, maybe Microsoft played a, a big role in designing this chip for the uh, for the Surface Pro X. Maybe it's just an HCX rebranded SQ1. Yeah, I mean, I'm just saying maybe they're maybe they're just rebranding it, maybe making some minor changes. So I don't know. I think the problem that we've seen so far with Windows on ARM, uh, I mean, the 855 chip was probably okay. It's but, just okay, yeah. You know, maybe 8CX is a lot better, but what you really need are native apps. Yeah, right? and that's still not there. And when I talked to uh, Don McGuire at Computex at, uh, of Qualcomm about this, he uh, it was a bit of an exclusive that I got on the podcast. He actually admitted on the podcast without naming names, but very heavily implying that Adobe is going to be coming out with CS Suite oh, you recompiled saw that. for ARM. Yeah. We saw that we saw that at the event, right? Because they came out and they said they demonstrated it. They demonstrated Indeed. that they're going to have that. So that is one of the big missing pieces because people want to want to run the browsers Photoshop. are there and Office is is coming or is at least already there. I think the browser so, not can you get Chrome an ARM version of Chrome? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is a beta. Yeah. So we need. I know Microsoft doesn't want people to use it, but I think that is kind of a killer app. Because there's, a lot of people there's prefer Firefox Chrome. for sure. I think Chrome. I played with a beta. I installed a beta, and then Office. Obviously, we want, and then we want CS Suite, and that includes Premiere. I know it sounds crazy. Some people are gonna cringe when I say this, but hear me out, okay? Not everybody is Marques Brownlee and <laughs> shoots shoots red AK footage and creates videos, edits videos down to 4K and posts them on YouTube. I still make 1080p videos that are recorded with 1080p cameras. In fact, I use phones that I edit at 1080p. And I use my little 12-inch first-gen MacBook, like the original super small, super thin, super light 12-inch MacBook with its crappy mobile Pentium processor or whatever that is, Celeron, whatever the thing that is, that is slow and fanless, which is, I guess, the good thing is fanless. I use that to edit video on my Mac, and I, I'm fine with it. It's not great performance, but it doesn't like feel like a ordeal. So it's perfectly feasible. So if I can do that, I think uh, Qualcomm-based, uh, you know, CS Suite uh, video editing should be fine. I mean, we all know we can edit video on ARM really well. If you've ever edited an iMovie on the iPad, it's an incredible experience. So, and it renders super fast because of custom hardware. So I think it's possible yeah. to, you know, for me, that's what I would do. I would want Adobe Premiere, uh, recompile for ARM on HCX-based machine and see how if I can do 1080p video on that. Yeah, I guess I'm just trying to figure out, I mean, so far I just haven't seen the value proposition from the from the Qualcomm-based laptops. I mean, I'd like to see it. I really would. What I think we've it's seen battery life and connectivity. When 5G hits, Intel will have nothing. Yeah, well, I mean, sure, there is the, the connectivity matters although it's not like you can't get a laptop uh, that is intel power that has an lte modem in it no well, lte is one thing but 5g is going to be the thing yeah so so that's something but but right now that doesn't that doesn't really exist right, right. so what you're paying for is you're paying for battery life but the battery life in my experience isn't that much better that it's worth you know i mean you're talking about maybe you'll get like two or three hours more uh, than on than on Intel, 
but you're also sacrificing the ability to run thirty to run like sixty four bit apps. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I mean, there are compromises, but I think like if you look at them kind of more as a Chromebook replacement, that is not a Chromebook and doesn't have the the limitations of a Chromebook, and so far that you don't have to be always connected to really use it. Uh, I think that there is some value to running Windows ten on ARM. Like I think that if you're just writing in Word on an airplane for 15 hours going from San Francisco to Taipei, uh, you might run out of battery on your Intel laptop. Um, even though your Wi-Fi is turned off and you're just in Word and it's just saving to the SSD every minute or something. But I think that a Qualcomm-based laptop at that point may make sense because you don't really need a lot of performance to write a story, to, to be typing in a, basically a glorified yeah, text I editor, mean, right? Right, and, I, and this is where... It, it would make sense, but I think the problem is that so far anyway, the price points of these haven't really mirrored the limits of the experience. Like you're paying the same amount or more that you would right. pay to get it's the true. full functionality. If you're getting less functionality, shouldn't you be paying less? Yeah, but again, you know, I think the the promise, and I, th- I again, I don't think they've delivered on this promise yet. And we'll see with the HCX and we'll see with the, the Surface Pro X. But I feel that the value proposition is ultra thin, ultra light, which we really haven't seen yet. Like my Lenovo based 855 Qualcomm Windows ARM laptop is basically the same chassis as one of their Chromebooks with an Intel chip. Yep. Right. And so they never tried hard enough. Like I remember that that first Asus uh, laptop with uh, at the time the 835 uh, mobile platform. Uh, it just was so was big terrible. and bulky. It was terrible. And I was like, where's the sexy stuff? Like, and this is why I'm really gung-ho and, I'm, and I could be very wrong, but I have this hunch, this feeling really deep in my heart as a Mac user that Apple is going to replace my, my MacBook that they just killed, right? Which I'm very sad they killed because for me, that form factor is unmistakably significantly better than everything else. Despite all of its performance compromises, as a road warrior, that's the killer form factor for me. It's a desktop experience in a super thin, super light laptop. I want that with a Qualcomm or an ARM-based chip. And I know but now that now that Apple and Qualcomm are friends, who knows? But I think Apple will make their own ARM chips because they're very good at this. So I, I think we'll see a MacBook, you know, and it might not be called MacBook, but we'll see something running macOS on ARM that's super thin, super light, and always on and always connected that's really going to show us what Qualcomm's been trying to show us all this time. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I, I like the competition. It certainly makes my job more interesting when we have lots of great competition from different platforms so far. And so I've always, I've been looking forward to them kind of getting this together. But I think so far what we've seen has not well, let's see what confidence. happens. I'm going to be in Hawaii for Qualcomm's big uh, tech conference in December. And, you know, it's a year since the ship was announced. We might see the first laptops with it. And also, again, the Surface Pro X is shipping soon. And it's got 
what appears to be potentially an HCX rebranded or a slightly modified version of HCX called the Microsoft SQ1. So we'll see what happens. And I think you can speak to this more than me because I'm not at all a big expert on the piece on the PC side of the chip system, right? Like I know my Intel chips a bit, but as soon as it goes into AMD, I'm just like my eyes glaze over and roll in the back of my skull and I kind of collapse into a ball. So tell us <laughs> a little bit what's the what's the thing about this 15-inch Surface laptop? that has a Ryzen CPU from AMD. Is this a big deal? Should we care? Should we be excited? What does it bring yes. to the table? Well, it, it brings better integrated graphics. So, okay. so AMD is known for having far superior integrated graphics to Intel. So, so you know, this is a custom chip. Uh, it's also custom made just for, just for Microsoft. So we don't know 100% uh, what its capabilities are, but... We know that it is designed to have really high-end, strong, integrated graphics. So you should get the advantage of graphics that are much better than built-in Intel HD graphics uh, with the power savings that come from not having discrete. So, you know, I think it will be good for things like Creative Cloud, and I think it will be good for even low-end games and amd has been catching up with intel on battery life used to be an amd laptop but battery life was a joke now they're usually like 45 minutes to an hour behind uh but even there who who knows so you so i think it's it's going to be exciting to see like what kind of graphics performance you're going to get in this 15 inch laptop to go with much stronger battery life than let's say if they threw uh you know a low-end nvidia card in there so uh, you know i think good graphics obviously um it's yet another point of competition for intel yeah, yeah. and the competition is really good for everyone you know it's important right. to know it's important to be able to have more than one option for making your pancakes so uh <laughs> so um cool you know it's uh yeah. there's a lot of amd fans out there are very excited Good. Well, this is good news. Um, I want to switch gears and quickly cover the last thing from Microsoft so we can move on because we got about 15, 20 minutes. And there's a few more other topics that I'd love to pick your brain about, including cooking pancakes on CPUs. Um, $250, which is a lot of money for these Surface earbuds. And I'm saying this without having touched them or listened to them. And I'm pretty sure my gut is correct that this is a lot of money for what it is. Um, so they yes. launched... Wireless, completely wireless, like independent two items, kind of like the AirPods from Apple yep. earbuds. But here's the kicker. They're $250, just a pretty high price compared to the competition. We don't know how good they sound, so we don't really have too much to, as a point of reference. They might sound phenomenal, which at this point might be worth the price. But again, the, the tricks here, the cool, the, the differentiators are that they are uh, they have a larger kind of surface area once inserted in your ear, which looks a bit weird, I have to admit, on people who've demoed it, but lets you do uh, gestures. It basically comes a capacitive touch surface, and that's cool, in my opinion. And then the other thing that's cool about them is that they let you, uh, you know, integrate with voice assistance, obviously, but specifically, they have some functionality to do things in Microsoft Office. But I'm not sure that's really that exciting and worth $250, right? I'm not sure what you would do in Microsoft Office from your ear. They said dictation. Uh, okay. And I mean, can I do that with any Bluetooth? 
right. you know, headset or earpiece or even AirPods. I don't know. It's, it's weird. And, and the point is, to me, uh, you know, there's no noise cancellation. So that's the other thing, right? Like, why would you do such a product and not put, like, that's the kill, that's the holy grail. Sony just released their completely independent Mark III, whatever version of their 1000 series earbuds that are completely wireless. And they have noise cancellation that works on airplanes. And they charge, I can't remember the price, it's probably 200 to 250. And at that point, you can say, okay, Sony is the best at noise cancellation, uh, you know, Bose being, you know, on their, on their coattails. Uh, and so Sony is making earbuds. I'm going to spend that money. I'm going to get great sound quality and great noise cancellation. It's a value proposition that makes sense. Here, I'm not getting it. I'm not seeing it, you know? Yeah, I don't, I don't really see a great value in this. I mean, I think the idea of dictating stuff is interesting, but it, shouldn't that work with any Bluetooth Bluetooth headset? So, yeah, I think this is going to be for people who are fans, fans. of the Microsoft, yeah, Microsoft yeah. aesthetic. Maybe they can throw them in for free when you buy a Surface product. <laughs> if you spend Only more... Only when they start throwing in the keyboard for free. I mean, 130 oh. bucks. No, no, but I'm thinking kind of like, you know what Samsung did with the Galaxy phones where they yeah. gave it away for free for like the first, you know, I don't know, like the first week or something. Yeah, maybe. Ah, uh, who knows? But anyway, um, let's move on. I want to talk about something. I don't know if you've been following this, so tell me how much you know about the whole Huawei saga. Uh, a bit, a bit. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I think it's, uh, interesting that, that people have come up with a workaround to try and get their right. Google apps. So on last phone. week we talked about this and there was a, so if you bought, there's two phones you can buy right now, uh, import as it were, if you can find an importer or maybe buy them abroad and take them home with you to the U S that do, uh, that run Android that are made by Huawei group. Uh, that are uh, under this ban that currently the U.S. government is 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 forcing upon Huawei, which are the Mate 30 Pro and, of course, the other variants of the Mate 30 that were announced that day, and the Honor 9X. And the reason I'm bringing up the Honor 9X is uh, they just sent me a review in it, which is a Chinese phone. Uh, and so both of these phones, because of the ban, do not have Google mobile services, the stubs of code that allow the Google apps to do their magic. So you don't have the Play Store, you can't install Google apps uh, and run Google apps. And if you side those up, they just don't work. So there was a workaround called LZ Play um, or LZ Play if you're Canadian or UK listener that uh, you could go to and would let you download an installer that would then install the Google apps for you. And, you know, we, we kind of celebrated that last week. Uh, we mentioned it on the show and we wrote about it. And so that if you were to buy one of these non-Google-capable phones from Huawei or Honor, you could install this thing and get your Google functionality back. Everything was cool. And it seemed like a good workaround because the company, we don't know what, who this company is who made this app, but they weren't based in China. So, you know, they, they don't skirt the ban, et cetera, et cetera. Seem, everything seemed to be peachy. And you're going to say, why would you even buy a Mate 30 Pro or Honor 9X? Well, they're great little phones for the money. And the Mate 30 Pro is one of the big imaging powerhouses out there in terms of camera photography performance. So, you know, they're valid phones that you'd want to buy potentially, especially if you're in Europe where Honor and Huawei have been very popular and successful until they got the carpet full from underneath their feet with this ban because it does affect them in Europe as well. So... Everything was peachy, and then we found out this developer, um, 
uh, kind of took apart this uh, John Woo. Uh, you know, I, I'm not mad at him, but I'm kind of mad at him because by exposing, by digging into this and figuring out what this LZ Play was doing, he found out that the only way that they were able to install the Google apps on these phones were because of some back door APIs. Um, and, you know, it's technical. I'm not going to get into detail. I don't have my good friend TK Bay here, who's a big uh, XDA developer, XDA forums uh, guru, to tell you the whole nitty-gritty. But basically, they were using some undocumented uh, APIs that Huawei somehow magically made available. So there's all kinds of conspiracy theories and non-conspiracy theories about what's going on here. Some people are saying that this LZ Play uh, website that you could download this this installer from was potentially put there by Huawei uh, as kind of like an unofficial workaround. And other people are like, don't be silly. It was just a third party independent. But then why would they be able to use these custom hooks into uh, you know Huawei's OS, which is to be clear, Android 10, but you know slightly modified, uh, etc. And so it's it kind of exploded and the end result is this LZ Play just suddenly disappeared. You can no longer right now, if you have a 9X, I received it the day after this exploded and I have this beautiful Honor 9X, which is a 285 or so US dollar phone that has, you know, a camera that rivals phones that cost five, $600, which is, you know, the whole shtick and I cannot use it at all. It's completely unusable because I cannot put Google on it, Google stuff on it. And more importantly, this LZ Play is gone. So that's the news. It's gone and nobody knows where they came from. It's not just that it stopped working. That I mean, not only did Google turn it off and didn't let this developer access stuff anymore, but the, the entire website has disappeared. So that's the story. And I kind of want to know what you think. Uh, I feel really bad for the people who bought the phones. I also feel somewhat bad for Huawei. I mean, like, I don't think, as far as I know, the government has not provided a real, a any tangible evidence to the public. Oh, no, why. they won't. This is purely about the trade war that Trump is waging on, on, on China, and they're trying to use, you know, Huawei as a peon in this trade war. It's all BS, you know? Right. So I, I this is just really anti-consumer here because they're making good phones, and, and now they're also- And great of- laptops. And they can no longer get Microsoft licenses or Intel chips, <laughs> right? You yeah, know how good their laptops have been at Huawei. Yeah, it's it's it's. I find this whole thing extreme, extremely bogus. I mean, if they're really a threat to U.S. national security, let's see some evidence of that. Uh, I mean, so yeah, it, this is very sad because if Huawei did put up the workaround, they're just trying to help their customers uh, get the experience that they deserve. Exactly. And, and I mean, one thing I am wondering is can you, is there a way to root the phone to install a, a No, because ROM? the bootloader is locked. Well, whose fault is that? Shouldn't they, shouldn't that they have it? That is Huawei, but they have a history of locking their bootloaders for whatever reason. Some people see it as a security measure, and it's granted it is, you know? Right. Well, they so maybe that's the next step. Maybe that. they need to unlock the bootloaders. Yeah. But then, you know, who's going to come up with a good ROM and how long is going to be officially available? And ROMs, you know, here's the thing about it. You know, Avram, I've never installed a custom ROM on, on any of my phones. And the reason for that is they're buggy. And these are my phones. This is my daily drive. This is my product that I use as a mission critical tool day upon day upon day. I cannot risk bugs. 
And I hate to say this, but as much as I trust developers, because I was a developer for a long time, I made video games, I just feel like, you know, there's too much a laissez-faire attitude in the ROM world. Ah, you know, it's a little buggy, big deal. That's the price you pay for getting this great ROM. And uh, that's not good. I, I want something solid, right? Yeah, so, I, I agree. I mean, it used to be cool. I used to, like my other, my previous phone before my current one, I used to put custom ROMs on it all the time. Uh, and then when I just got my most recent phone, I was like, eh, it's not even worth it because you don't really get updates so you have to install a new ROM when an update comes, when a new version of the OS comes out. So eh, it wasn't, it wasn't worth it. But, you know, if I had one of these phones and somebody made available a custom ROM that would allow me to install things from the Play Store, yeah, I, I would use it. I mean, I guess another good question is if you're willing to live without, say, Google Apps, is there, all, is there a good enough alternative app store you would use that would get most of the apps you want? So this is what's interesting. You should know. I have this 9X, and so my my I I you know after taking a deep breath and crying a few tears, I decided <laughs> okay, I will not have Google on this, and I will actually try. Like, why don't I write a story? And I'm about to write this story for for Android Police, and it's the story of what if you had a Chinese phone in the U.S. or in Europe, and you're heavily invested in Google's ecosystem, and you cannot use it with Google Apps. What are your alternatives? What are the apps you should install? What are your choices? And I'm going to write a story about that, but I'm already running into problems. I immediately, so Huawei and Honor, as you know, it's a sub-brand of Huawei, have their yep. own app store. And it's got a lot of good apps on there, um, but it's not a lot of the apps that we, we really want. There's a lot of the really big players in China, like Baidu and, and Weibo and WeChat and all that. And it's great. But, you know, it's hard to find Facebook that's not there, for example. So I thought, hey, wait a minute, Amazon, ah, right? Like Amazon has an app store for the Fire tablets. Amazon has its own app store. And as much as I absolutely hate the idea that Amazon has a forked version of Android, obviously it's been a very popular thing for them with the Fire tablets, so they have their own app store. So I was like, you know, you can actually install the app store from Amazon on any Android phone. So I went to the link for the Amazon App Store and I installed it, the APK, and I fired up the APK and I logged in with my Amazon logged in because you know that's what you have to do to make it work. And then it gave me an error. Ugh. And the error is that basically you can't get to the network. And I'm like, well, I tested, I was on Wi-Fi at the time. I tested my Wi-Fi. It was working fine on the phone. All the other apps could see the Wi-Fi. Then I switched to cellular and my phone worked fine and all the apps could see cellular. But I cannot, in what for whatever life of me, get the Amazon App Store to connect to the Amazon servers. It sees some sort of blockage there. Could be a Chinese thing. But the bottom line is now you know what I'm going to have to do next, right, Avram? I'm going to have to go to APK Mirror, which, as you know, is a... A website that's uh, put together by the same people who run Android Police and curates all these APKs, uh, which is great because if you want like the old version of, you know, like a year ago's version of Gmail, they have it cached there. So you can download that if for whatever reason you need to test that version. And so it's cool. So I'm going to go there next and download Facebook and Twitter and like probably Outlook for Mail. And, you know, I'm going to have to find solutions for the things like mail, calendar, and for like Google Drive, I'm probably just going to have to use the web interface. It's going to be interesting. But the point is, I'm going to let you know how that works out. But already I'm running into obstacles, just doing something as simple as installing an alternative app store, right? So, yeah. Ugh. Yeah. 
So like a lot of people, you know, they're like, I, I, and don't get me wrong, I want to validate those people. I want to say that I hear you and I agree with you. Not everyone is as invested as I am into the Google ecosystem and not all of us necessarily need the Google apps. I know some people that are hardcore Apple iPhone users and they have no Google apps on their iPhones. They use Apple Maps and they use Apple Mail and la 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 and everything is great. And I know some people in Europe particularly that are Android users that do not use Google services at all, that they're just not a big fan and so they use whatever alternative, maybe Dropbox and, and they use like outlook with their own like maybe yahoo mail or whatever right and totally respect that however i'm running into this problem where this phone these phones are even preventing me from finding alternatives to make this work and i'm not sure if it's on by design or on purpose or it's just that you know google is so intermeshed the google mobile service so intermeshed with with Google the US that, and for me particularly who's been using Google services for so long that it's kind of like any resistance I see is immediately like almost like a panic feeling you know yep I don't know it's crazy so anyway this happened and then uh, you know I, I, we should move on because we could spend a lot of time on this I just don't know what the solution is all I'm saying is that you should stay tuned to the podcast because I'm going to continue keeping an eye on what's going on with this and do my own experiment with this Honor 9X and I'll let you know how it works out and obviously we'll find out soon uh, what steps you know I have a feeling that on Huawei is going to continue try and find solutions for its customers and maybe they will go down, you know and unlock the bootloaders and we'll see how it goes We'll, we'll find out. Um, but what's interesting, speaking of phones, and speaking of a phone that's coming soon, the Pixel 4, on October 15th in New York, I'll be there, is more leaks. There's been so many leaks about this phone, we almost every, know everything about it, but somebody leaked some specs for the phone, and that, you know, um, visual core that exists on the Pixel visual core that exists on the, on the existing Pixels today is apparently getting renamed and rebranded pixel neural core and the reason this is important of course if you're an android nitty-gritty person this is important but if you're even not an android nitty-gritty person this essentially means that we've seen apple with the iphone 11 really kick things up a notch in terms of imaging and in some places catch up with google on the existing pixel 3 family but this pixel neural core might indicate that uh, maybe google has some new special sauce in hardware to potentially do machine learning type stuff that will improve their imaging performance to outshine Apple once again. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm watching I'm gonna watch the Pixel 4 rollout with great anticipation because uh my phone, which is a Galaxy S8, is now over two years old and it's working fine, but I know that hey, you know, sometime in the next year or so, six months a year or so, I might want to upgrade. And to me, the most important feature on a new phone right now is is image quality, is camera quality. And so, because I use this for my professional, you know, photography at trade shows and right, things like right. that. So, uh, the Pixel Three already had, you know, arguably the best camera, certainly probably the best among Android devices, right? So, or do you think P thirty is better? Well, it depends what you're doing. I think if you just want to match the 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 button and get good photos pixel wins i think that versatility wise because of the three lenses um p30 wins 
uh, and maybe the Mate 30 now surpasses it in some ways. Definitely the wide angle is a better quality. But, you know, the, the telephoto is less zoom than the P30, so who knows. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, there, it's, a, it's a toss between those two. And, and now, obviously, the iPhone 11 is back in the game, right? Yeah, Samsung is not, though. So I mean, they're good, but they're not, like, they're great, but they're not outstanding. They just don't shine. They just do good enough and good enough for most people. It really is good enough here. Like it's not me being a jerk. Like it's sometimes you can say it's good enough because you're like, you know, let's move on and, 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 you know, we'll do better next time kind of thing. And this is one of those situations. I feel like they can, they can be proud of themselves. I think they've done a very good job with the Note 10, particularly the Note 10 and the Galaxy S10 series, but, but it's not quite there, you know, in the big scheme of things. Yeah. 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 I mean, I just want that phone for when we're like elbowing people out of the way at the press conference and it's really yeah, dark exactly. in exactly. there and I'm trying to get a picture of a laptop and it's red and I don't want it to look orange. Like, yeah. like so whatever get whatever phone lets me do that, that's the phone I want. So if uh you know, while I actually don't really like the the pixel hard the pixel hardware otherwise or I have it on the three, uh the image quality was just so much better than on my on my S8, that uh, if they're saying they're going to kick up the image quality a notch with with uh, with better like with better machine learning yeah, and yeah. Pro- processing, then that can only uh, give them make it even better. Indeed. So let's see what happens, folks. We'll let you know. Um, let's talk about pancakes and CPUs. You want to give us the lowdown of re- essentially what you guys decided you were going to try and then how it worked out. Sure. So at Tom's Hardware, we like to uh, mess around with technology. We build a lot of things. We take things apart. Uh, and so one idea that we had and executed on was trying to figure out which processor cooks pancakes better, an AMD <laughs> processor or an Intel processor. Oh, we need to amazing. understand that there's a huge Intel-AMD rivalry, and we have a lot of readers who are really big AMD fans. Uh but we also have people who are Intel fans, and we want to try and, and we compare these two. We compare these two brands across a lot of vectors: performance, value. But no one has compared them in terms of uh, cooking. So we huh. took we took a two high end desktop chips, a Threadripper twenty nine ninety WX, and an Intel Core i nine ninety nine ninety nine eighty X, I think, uh, and. Uh, and we took those and we took the we built system we took the fans the fans off and we used a skillet as a heat sink um, with a lot of thermal paste with a lot of thermal paste now we've gotten some comments that we could have gotten a better skillet and we that was what we had but we if we had found something that was that size that was i think pure iron or something it probably would have transferred the heat better right um but uh, we tried, and uh, when it comes to cooking a pancake or cooking anything, really, uh, there's a clear winner, although you might call them a loser because maybe this isn't the amount of heat that you want. Uh, <laughs> it, Intel won. Uh, Intel oh, Intel cooked, won. But both both cases, pancakes weren't cooked fully, right? Yeah. Well, the AMD one turned off, so that's a complete, oh. that's a complete fail. The AMD so one, how did you actually like ramp up the CPUs? Or like, what did you write a custom app uh, uh, that would really do that, or what? We d- we debated for a while whether we were going to try different apps and see like which app cooks it better. But the problem is you got to run it consistently. So we used uh, Ida sixty four, which is 
a which is a measurement app that met, but it also has a stress test in it. Uh, so, it. so we ran the stress test, which is I think like like other things like Prime ninety five that are designed just to like keep the processor running as fast as possible. Both of these processors that we used had a, a peak temperature of one hundred five degrees Celsius. So that's why we chose them because if right. we just chose like a regular desktop processor, they wouldn't have gotten maybe hot enough. Right. Uh, so it took about 15 minutes to cook the pancake to a reasonably edible state on, uh, on, on the Intel chip. And the thing just turned itself off. Now, maybe we actually reached out to AMD and haven't gotten a comment from them yet. Uh, maybe it's a good safety feature that the AMD one turned itself off. Yeah. Right. So I was going to ask you, does do modern motherboards measure the temperature or do the chips do? And do they actually like shut down? Or, I oh, mean, yes. I know they scale yes. down in performance. No, no, yes, yes. There's a there's a fail safe. So what we were trying to do was sort of like, I think that ideally it's supposed to get to 105 and do something to stay there. But given that, given that we had taken, we had no, we had no fan on these and these, Processes are clearly not made to be used with passive cooling. Right. Um, in the case of the Intel one, we also had to actually remove the coolers from the VRM modules okay. uh, because the pan wouldn't fit. And so <laughs> that caused it to turn off. And so we had to actually take a case fan and blow it on the VRMs yeah. uh, to, uh, to cool it off. Uh, on AMD's case, the VRMs uh, fit because the the Threadripper chip was actually a physically larger chip, uh, but it, it turned itself off. So, uh, so what did we really learn here? What we learned is, if you are stuck on a desert island with only a desktop computer, a working power socket, and a bowl of pancake batter, you want to be on Team Blue. You want Intel, <laughs> or you'll starve to death. If okay, you're well, there on, you go. If you're in the Blue Lagoon, you want Team Blue. Got it. Well, it's good to know. Thanks for sharing that. And I just also want to add that uh, you, you, I'm really hoping now that there's a whole subculture that comes out of this because it exists in the car world. People are cooking eggs on engines and stuff. And, and I think that what we need now is AMD and Intel to have some sort of optimized mode yeah. for cooking that you can turn on in software and that, um, you know, then you can really do some measurements and actually try to compete with one another. Um, and let's see if, uh, who, who makes the best software to optimize that? You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yes, to optimize for your hottest possible CPU. I can just imagine a future BIOS in one of those ASUS motherboards that says, you know, uh, pancake test on yes. off you know and yes. you can turn it on and it it manages the vrms differently and stuff and everything goes like <laughs> you know to cook mode if someone wants to send us that send us a, a firmware to do that we will happily do the test again uh by the way we use pancakes because a lot of people actually have done eggs so we wanted to do a slightly different breakfast than Perfect. everybody than everybody else has done uh maybe in the future we'll if we could figure out a way to do video cards we will, uh, but you know, listen. We were at Tom's Hardware. We're all about pushing the envelope. The week before this, we figured out how to run a Raspberry Pi computer submerged underwater. So you know, we, uh, you know, we're always looking for a way to push the technology just because we can. That's the way to do it, though. I mean, that's what I love about it. Last week we talked about 
Iceland for 10 minutes. And today we talked about cooking pancakes for 10 minutes. This is why I love doing this show for you folks. So anyway, listen, Aram, we should wrap it up. I want to know if you would like to tell the world uh, all about where they can find you on the internet, other than, of course, Tom's Hardware. Sure. So, I mean, primarily, obviously, you'll find my articles on tomshardware.com, but you can follow me on Twitter at, at @geekinchief, where I tweet about all of these things. And uh, I, uh, I'm also on a podcast called uh, F5 Live every, every Sunday night. You can, uh, you can look that up. And uh, I, of course, was really honored to be a, to be a guest on your podcast. I'd come back anytime you want me. Well, thanks so much, Avram. It's always a pleasure to have you. Um, you know where to find me on the internet, folks. I'm at Tankerl. That's T-N-K-G-R-L, like the comic book character without the vowels. That's both on Twitter and on Instagram. Twitter is really the place. If you want to comment on the show, do it on Twitter. If you want to see pretty pictures of phones and pictures taken with phones, go to my Instagram. There's also a YouTube channel that's a compliment to the podcast. Uh, at youtube.com slash Miriam Joar. That's youtube.com slash Miriam Joar. If you're wondering how to spell my name, Miriam Joar, go to my Twitter and it's spelled out there for you. Just drop the space between my first and last name. Put that at the end of youtube.com slash and you'll get to the channel. There's unboxings, hands-ons, a whole bunch of other stuff. I also have the podcast on youtube as a one hour and so video every week so check that out uh, finally of course uh, mobiletechpodcast.com is the url for the show if you have an rss uh, based uh, podcast uh, app that's where you'll find the rss feed but we're also on apple podcast google podcast podcast overcast and uh, spotify tune in radio i think spotify is pretty popular a lot of people seem to be listening on spotify so kudos to you uh, if that's what you're doing. And uh, I also want to remind everyone, tankgirl.com is my website and you can go there for some good deals. So I often talk about phones on the show like this Honor 9X. And well, you know, you can probably get a deal for this phone if you go to the blog and check it out. I've got a partnership with GearBest and so they're very good at importing phones from various markets. Check that out as well. Finally, I want to thank our sponsor, Audible. Audible.com is where it's at for audiobooks. If you like books, but you can't read them for whatever reason, maybe you're the delivery driver and you're in the car or whatever all day, and you want to listen to, say, I don't know, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is the one I'm listening to right now, Douglas Adams. That's a book I read years ago when I was in college, and I still love it today. Uh, you know, they're, they're the place to go. So check out Audible. There is a special deal for the listeners of the show. You can get a month for free. You don't have to stay at the end of the month if you don't like it. You can keep one of the books you download during that month, free trial. And it's audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. That's audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. If you'd rather click on links look at the podcast notes uh, the show notes will have all the links for everything including audible.com so thanks to audible for being a long time sponsor and finally i want to thank you again avram for being on the show i really appreciate it oh thank you for asking me i'll come anytime fantastic so folks stay tuned we'll have another show next week and until then cheers everybody <laughs> This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, Tank Girl, Miriam Joie.